I want to go back to origins again because it's always good to understand something of the first Adam so that we can appreciate the last Adam. Now, mind you, I did say the last Adam because there's some use the language as being the second Adam, but that's okay, but we like to say the last Adam because there are no Adams after Jesus Christ. When he came, he was, uh, he says, I'm the first and the last, the beginning and the end. But in this, let's look at Adam uh, and uh, the, first, uh, the first man, uh, Adam, and as we, and I'm entitling this the main attraction because we're going to look at Adam and the distinct qualities within the nature of Adam. There were some things that, these things were contained within him. Uh, and the thing that was distinct about Adam is that it was innate within him to do the will of God. It wasn't something that he had to strive at or struggle with, but it was a part of how he was made. In fact, the Bible spoke about when God made man, he said that he, is, he made him after his own image. He made him in his own image, after his own likeness. So with that, this man that was made by God was without restrictions and the prohibitions of law. There were no laws that were even, uh, they weren't even uh, needed or necessary with uh, man when he was first made. We talk about man before he possessed his fallen nature because the only thing that was required of him was one law. It was only one law. He says, the day you eat of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall surely die. So the only, uh, the only prohibition was that he was not to eat of that particular tree. And another thing that was innate within Adam, and, and you probably hadn't thought of this, in fact, God began to show this to me, is that he was attracted to the holiness of God. Now, that's something to think about. He was attracted to the holiness of God. The very thing that drives people away from God is the thing that attracted the first Adam. He was attracted to God's holiness. We talk about God's holiness. I'm going to do a lot of teaching on that when we go into this new year, 2023, because the Lord gave me a lot of insight upon understanding holiness as an end, not merely a means unto an end, but we want to understand holiness as an end within itself. But here, uh, he was a man that was made holy. He was holy created. He was holy made, and he was attracted to the holiness of God. The reason that I could say this is because we see in the Scripture where he would commune with God. He would commune with God on a regular basis. He looked forward to those times of spending time with God. Now, how are you going to talk to God who is holy, God who is righteous altogether, God who has no sin within him, lest there's no sin within you? So we are talking about uh, the sinless uh, we took at Adam as being sinless. We talk about before sin was introduced to him, that he had communion with God, and that's evident in and of itself that he was attracted to God's holiness. He was not hiding away from God, but he was running to God. We talk about Imago Dei, 
is that he was made in the image of God. The nature of God was within him. And when he, uh, if you look into the scripture, you'll see that he was, we begin to see Adam, he would see the maleness and the femaleness contained within him. That he was, before he said, he created him male and female. So we see how woman was taken out of Adam, but we're talking about all that God is. We talk about all that humanity is was contained within the first Adam. And, 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 and from God, from sinless perfection, we begin to see Adam reflecting God's glory. That's why he could name all the things that were created. That's why he was so useful to God, is because he was reflector of God's, uh, of, of God's nature and of God's holiness. Now, the Bible says, as we go further into this, this is a prohibition in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. It says, Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and, uh, to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Now, now we're going we're gonna to look into this whole thing. This is really the origin of evil. It, it, it's the origin of evil. And, and, and let me just help you understand what evil is. Evil is the absence of good. That, that's what we can look at it. it. It is not that we say how God created good, God created evil. Evil is, in fact, the absence of good. So when good is non-existent, when you pull good away, then evil remains. But I begin to look at this tree now. He says, this was a tree that was in the garden. He says, but he says, but of every tree you may eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat of it. For the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. I begin to see that tree as a hybrid tree. It was, it was placed with a hybrid seed uh, rather than, in our day, we understand something being organic. We saw an organic tree, and then we see a, a hybrid tree uh, that was planted in the garden. Where Lucifer was created, uh, we begin to see where Lucifer, Lucifer was created. He was an angel. He was good. But then we begin to see that which was good becoming evil, that which was good becoming evil. So now Lucifer created good but became evil and understand what he did since he had become evil. His objective was to lure his prey towards the forbidden. That's his whole objective. How can I allure? His objective was to lure his prey towards the forbidden. Since he had already done it, his objective was to draw as many as possible towards the forbidden. In other words, understand what we're saying here is that we begin to see this hybrid tree because something else was mixed in it. It says, I, I would put it this way, it was genetically modified, GMO, a GMO tree. It, it, now, understand something in GMO, when it's genetically modified, we begin to look at it, it grows faster, it, it, it becomes more attractive to the eye. It, 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 it looks good. 
and it can taste good. You, you see, now you help uh, nuts know more about this than I do. Uh, what happened, uh, you see, when you go to the store, I'm learning this now. I go to the store. My, in fact, my little granddaughter will say, is it, is it organic? Uh, she won't eat, look, uh, only won't eat anything unless it's organic. You have to, so I have to show her, baby, this is organic. This is not GMO. This is something that's organic because she's very careful. Her mom and dad, mom in particular, taught her to go for that which is organic. Now, understand this, and she got us all in that grave where we go for the organic, organic, because when you go to the store, you begin to see these big apples and, and big watermelons that's larger than life. And all this, and, and you begin to look at it and say, boy, look at this corn. Look at how bright and brilliant it is and how long and how healthy it looks. And how fast it's grown. It grows like overnight. But the reason that it has such great, it produces so quickly is because it's been genetically modified. It's been genetically. So we begin to look at this tree. Uh, it, 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 but, but the thing is, it can affect the body. It can be poisonous to the body, but not only poisonous to the body, but it can also cause harm to the ecosystem. There's something that happens even to the environment when that kind of, when it, when it goes into the soil. So, so it becomes pollutant. It, these pollutants are there because of that which is placed, the, the, the chemicals and all the other things that's placed in uh, on this to keep it safe, or, or so to speak safe. So here we begin to see this hybrid tree, good and evil. I begin to look at that, and I begin to go into scriptures and ask the question, where can we see a scripture to support this particular premise? And I looked here at Matthew chapter 12 at verse 33. This is what Jesus Christ was saying. He says, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad. He says, have it one way or the other. Either let the tree be good and its fruit good, or else make it bad and its fruit bad. Now we begin to look at, uh, he talked about water. How can, good and, uh, how can good water and bad water come from the same cistern? He is saying that, so then he goes on to say, for a tree is known by its fruit. Now understand what we're talking about. This is the fruit of a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He says, but a tree is known by its fruit. So he is saying that what kind of, what kind of fruit is that particular tree bearing, but also understand who was hanging around that tree? Who was hanging around the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? We begin to see the serpent. The serpent was hanging around the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So with the serpent hanging around the tree to allure individuals to eat of that particular fruit, then we understand that apparently, and we begin to see that particular scene played over and over and over again. So we begin to see the allurement is toward that which is genetically modified. You see, the enemy is trying to say, instead of the purity of worship, the enemy would like for you to be attracted or lured by genetically modified worship. Instead of the pure Word of God, 
The enemy would like you to be attracted to genetically modified words. Do you see that? Prophets, prophecies that are genetically modified. So, so the enemy, we understand the work of deception is not just to throw something out there, but it is to get it to be at a place where it, you see some semblance of good based upon what you see, the way you see it, the way you think of it, the way you understand it, you say it's good. Isn't that the same thing? He says, now look at Eve. She began to look at it. She said, it looks good. Then she tasted it, tastes good. And she says, so it apparently can make one wise. So, so the same thing is played over and over again. And you have to be very careful lest you fall prey to that because there are many things out here that will apply, that will appeal to your senses. And when it appeals to your senses, many people will begin to make decisions based upon the, the eye appeal of a particular thing. So, so we have to go back and understand something of the knowledge of evil. I'm, I'm going to talk about Christ coming after a while, but I want you to set this, this groundwork before we get there. Because we begin to look at, he says, a, a, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good fruit, good things rather, and an evil man out of the evil treasures bring forth evil things. Now, we have to go back and look at evil itself. And I begin to look at, I went into Hebrew study of the word evil to look at what that word really uh, meant, even in the Hebrew language. And it meant to break or to shatter. It meant to break or to shatter, to be evil. It, it is breaking or to shatter. So, so something is broken. Something is shattered, you see. Evil caused something to be broken or something to be shattered. We understand it was broken fellowship when it came to the relationship that exists between Adam and God. But, but that's it, to break something, to shatter something. That's what is it. The Bible says the thief cometh but to steal and to kill and to destroy. So his objective is to break fellowship with God, but also to shatter the dreams that you may have for your future. He, he, he is shattering the dreams that, I would say, that God inspired dreams for your future that which God would have you to step into, that which God would have you develop into becoming. The enemy is here to shatter that dream. So that now, in other words, he'll place something in his place. You see that we talk about the good and evil. He will get something in his place that appears to be good, that's not as good as that which would be the original thought and idea of God. So now, he says here, he says, if you eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall surely die. You shall surely die. And, and the literal translation of that is, in dying, you shall die. In dying, you shall die. He is saying, you shall surely die. Separation from the life source. It has to do with, we talk about shattering and breaking. It is a disconnect. You're disconnected. And, and when you're disconnected, that which is disconnected dies from neglect because it's no longer being fed. Are you, are you seeing something? 
Are you saying something? There's no more feeding taking place. The continual feeding is not occurring in that because you understand what happens when the circuit is broken, when the electricity is flowing through the line, but when you have a, when there's a break within that circuit, then that electricity can't get to those appliances or whatever it is to run by electricity. That electricity can't flow through that any longer. Why? Because it has been broken. And the same thing, the life source, the life of God cannot flow through you the way God would have it to flow. You see, that's what he says. He says, so now we begin to see the disconnect that takes place, but that's a part of it. He says, in dying you shall die. That's a part of it. He says, you will be disconnected, but that that goes deeper than that. In dying, you should, as a result of being in a constant, you are dying because now you're in a constant state of dying. Or he gives a deeper definition of dying. A deeper definition of dying is experienced by the individual that's disconnected. You think that's all there is to it. It's death as you know death to be. But he's saying, I'm going to show you that there's a death, there's a mystery to death that you had not experienced as of yet, and that which has not even come to mind. It is the unknown mystery of the second death, is what he's talking about. He says, the second death, he is saying in essence that you will be in the state of perpetual punishment after physical death. See, people think that's it. We're just going to, we're going to kill ourselves and we're going to just end this life and thinking that's all there is to it. But understand, when he says, die and you shall die, there's perpetual punishment after physical death. Another way of putting it, there is eternal death. There is eternal death. Just like he gives us eternal life, you see, being separated from God, what you receive is eternal death. Death as we know death to be would be a, uh, a relief. But he is saying, but in dying you shall die. That will be an eternal death. You will continue to die. So, so now, let's look at <clears throat> what happens now. This is, we talk about the origin of, of, of evil, but now we have to understand the nature of sin. <clears throat> the nature of sin. You know, sin is missing the mark. Sin is violating that which God has set before us. <clears throat> so, so now, what happens, we understand the allurement, the allurement for the GMO, the allurement towards that which has been genetically modified. You see, the nature of fallen man gravitates towards that which is genetically modified. It, it's not something you have to work at. It's just a part of the fallen nature of humanity. You see, it's within, in other words, it's in us, it's in you and me uh, before we were saved, before we gave our hearts and lives to the Lord. And, and one writer put it this way, he says what happens, uh, uh, he talked about the two natures that exist within the believer, but he is saying what God does when he places this heart of Christ within us, that heart is to permeate within us so that he, now it takes charge of every part of our being so that now our heart is fully given over to him. You, you see what happens? It, it is working within us, allowing that which has been imparted within us to begin to ever work within us. One, I think it was A.B. Simpson said, it's like a white dot in the middle of darkness. 
and then eventually that white dot begins to expand until nothing is there but the whiteness of the dot that was placed. He says, so something is working inside of us as we yield our hearts and our lives completely to the Lord. So, so now, he says in James chapter 1 verse 12, he said, blessed is the man who endures temptation, who endures temptation, because now as we be a look at the things that are luring individuals, luring all of us, are working to lure any of us because you understand the nature of sin, the, the, the body of sin uh, that, that produces death. He says, but blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive, everything is future tense, a crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. So now, if we had time, we'd really go through this. This is how your love is proven. This is how your love is, is validated. It's because what happens, you will, you will endure temptation. You will, you will stand fast and stand steady in the face of temptation. And when you resist those uh, things that would otherwise be appealing, he says, you will be approved. After he has been approved, he received a, a crown, victorious crown, a victory crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. So the reason that you're standing is because not only are you resisting, but your resistance is because you love him. He says, and I always put it this way, you compare the temptation to the one that you love. I love him more than whatever this temptation that may be presented to me. He says, but let no one say when he's, attempt, when he's tempted, I, I, I will, I'm tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But he says, but this is how temptation takes place. But everyone is tempted when he is drawn away. Look at the allurement. He is drawn away. Now look at the garden now. Look in the garden. What happened? Looks good. It, 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 it appears to be good. He says, so thou taste it. Now it even tastes good. So apparently God lied because it does exactly what the messenger told me it would do. So he says, so now he says, drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when that desire has conceived, when that desire has a baby, when that desire produces fruit, when that desire produces fruit, it gives birth to sin. So understand, now we know the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. But he says, but when that desire has conceived, then it produces, uh, it, 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 it gives birth to sin. And when sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. When sin is full grown, when it fully develops, it starts off as a little thing. But when it is full grown, it produces death. So we understand that the objective of the enemy is to destroy the image of God within you and me. He is the corrupter, you, you see. Uh, he is the corrupter. So that's why Jesus Christ came on the scene. That's why Jesus Christ came on the scene. It says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, he says, For this purpose, the Son of God, not only did he come, 
but he was manifested. He came as a baby. He came as a, an infant. He came through the virgin birth, through virgin Mary. But he was manifested. When he talks about ma the manifestation of the Son of God, he is made known. He is, he is now seen for who he really is. Now we have spiritual lenses in order to see him. He has made himself known. This is a self-revelation of God. He reveals himself that he might, through his revelation of himself, destroy the works of the devil. So in other words, the, when you see him as he is, that which you see of him destroys the works of the devil. Are you saying something here? When we see him as he is, the presence that's what we still call this, the, uh, the, the gift of presence. They say the presence of the Lord alone destroys the works of the devil. So in other words, the more you see him, the more the works of the devil can be destroyed. But if you do not see him, but what you see then becomes more attractive, then that which you see has the power to allure you away and you will find yourself eating of the forbidden. And that's what happens. That's what happens. So now we begin to see he, he, he destroys the sin nature. He destroys the works of the devil. The, see, Paul began to speak of that even in uh, Romans chapter 7 and verse 13. He says, have then, first of all, I, I, before we get to that, he talks about that which I will to do, I do not, and that which I will not to do, I find myself doing. Look, look, look at his challenge. He says, that's what I don't want to do. Now, now, mind you, I want you to see the challenge that Paul was facing because he says, I don't want to sin. I don't want to do the thing that I feel drawn into doing. I don't really want to do it. Now, that in of itself means that there has been placed within him something that's glorious because the desire of the passion to do right, see, is the seed of righteousness that has been established. You see, it is the seed of, of, of God that's established his life that will cause him to desire to do that which is good. So, so, but yet he realized, he says, but he realized, but he still lacked the ability to do all that he will to do. He still lacked the ability to do all that he will to do. He says, now, Lord, now we know the Bible says it is God who gives us both the will and the ability to do according to his good pleasure. But he starts with the will. He says that, and, and, and Paul puts it very clear when he says, when he talks about the thing that he, the struggle that he's having. He says, has then what is good become death to me? Certainly not. But it is sin that it might appear sin was producing death in me through what is good. <laughs> Did you hear this? He said, he said, he said, what is good, that which is good become death to me. Now, now what he's really talking about and, and I can't wait to develop this part, is really talking about the law, the law. Because you understand what he's really saying. He says, we talk about God's holiness. Oh, I didn't want to get to this yet, but God has given me permission. 
when we talk about when we talk about the law the law directs us towards the character of God it directs us towards the character of the father that's a whole other message that I'm still leading for 2023 but understand that when we look at the character of the father God is what he is holy God is holy and since God is holy God is he is righteous so if God is holy and if God is righteous do you see that he is righteous altogether so if that be the case then what happens he since we cannot be righteous in and of ourselves what does he do he gives us law now the law we mentioned there's only one law what was the first law don't eat of the forbidden but because of sin now we have laws but those laws direct us towards the holiness of God that's what those laws do they direct us toward the holiness of God it says now how do I understand how holy God really is you can only understand how holy God is by understanding the law because when you when you re, re, when you get to divorce yourself from the law then you divorce yourself from the holiness of God do you hear what I'm saying you divorce yourself from the now we're not talking you see there's, there's a term called antinomianism no law uh, but, but, but then there's another term called licentiousness. Right? How do you say it? Licentiousness. That's it, licentiousness. It's when a person feels as if he or she has permission to do any and everything. But here's what we're talking about now. When we talk about the whole thing of law, we realize, you see, that the necessity of Christ is to be brought to the place of understanding that God's command to us when he says, be holy as I am holy, that there's no way in my own strength I can be that. I can be that. There's no way I can attain to that level of holiness, but yet, going back to Adam, Adam was holy because he communed with God. He was one that had right relationship and fellowship with God, but sin entered into the picture. Now we begin to see we begin to see a man who was born in sin and fashioned in iniquity by the name of Paul, who was Saul of Tarsus. What did he try to do? Uphold the law. He thought that by doing the law that he could attain to that level of holiness and righteousness only to come to the place of realizing that he would in his efforts fall short. Now, we begin to reach where he says that now then what is good how has then what is good become death to me has it become death to me because if I violate the law you see I realize that the penalty is death he says so what is good has become death to me he says certainly not but what is done but sin, but it is sin. Why? That it might appear sin was produced, producing death in me through what is good. He says, so now what has happened 
now I see sin as sin, but I could not see sin as sin without the law. Now, if you get to the place of saying that I despise the law, you're really saying you despise God because you would much rather that he not be holy so that he could be more relatable. You could relate to him on a level that would not be so, such a strain upon you. So, in other words, you're saying, God, I want you to come down to my level. I want you to reduce yourself to my level so that you become as I am. But watch the wisdom of God. <laughs> he did become as we are, but he did it without sin. He became as well. But, but that was really it. Lord, would you come? Lord, would you come down? You remember in the scripture, come down, Lord. You're, you're crying. Would you come down? We want you to do it, Lord. But now, look at Paul. I'm going to get to Paul. He says, now, has then what is good become death to me? Certainly not. It's sin. That it may appear as sin was producing death in me through what is good, so that sin through the com uh, commandment might become exceedingly sinful. Look at how I see sin now. Now I don't see sin. I see sin as sin, but I see it as sin. First of all, I see it as just a little mistake. I see it as a little boo-boo. I something I just messed up. I just made a little error. I just made a little, a little something. It's not that big of a deal. But now I see sin as being worthy of death. You see that? I see sin as being worthy of death. I'm talking about what you thought was a little sin. Now you see it as being worthy of death. But, but watch where it's taking you now. It's taking you to a place where now, if you see it through the lenses of God, based upon God being holy as as holy as he is and as righteous as he is, and now you see his holiness and you see your sin, what do you say? Woe is me. Woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. Not only that, I live in an environment of unclean people. But here he says, now I see sin as sin, that it might become exceedingly sinful for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. Now, do you see where Paul is? So, so you're not just, it's not a bragging right. Well, I'm the righteous of God. No, now I come to the place of understanding what Christ has wrought for me and understand it's a humbling experience, not giving me bragging rights, but it further humbles me to realize that he, what he took on, he took on my sinfulness in order for me to take on his righteousness. So you see that? So it, it takes away boasting. It takes away all of that prideful, arrogant boasting that would take place. I'm this and I'm that. I'm the this. I'm God's superstar. No, it's a humbling experience. It is saying, I, 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 and Paul says, Paul put it this way. He says, for I am carnal. 
sold under sin. He still recognized. And what he's really doing, he shifts back to his reality. This is where I stand apart from Christ. This is where I stand apart from Christ. I am carnal and sold under sin. He, he said, the reason I say this, reason I say this is because of verse 15. For what I'm doing, I don't even understand. What I'm doing, I don't even understand. I don't know why I mess up like I don't know why I do the things that I do. I don't know why. Since, since God has made it so clear to me that this is something I ought not do, then why do I still do it? Why do I still do it? When I know it's wrong, why do I still do those things that are wrong? It looked like if I really, if, if it looked like it would just be something that I would, it's second nature to me, that I just do right all the time, that, that there's no sin in me, there's nothing unrighteous about me. He says, but then Paul was a realist. He says, but well, what I'm doing, I do not understand. But what I, but what I will to do, he says, that I do not practice. He says, the thing that I really want to do, this is, you see, I'm looking at, it, it was, I heard this on radio, somebody said the other day, he said, they asked him, said, what, uh, who do you consider to be the greatest person in the world? And he gave that name. Who do you consider to be, uh, this went through all the things about the greatest. And, and then the person, he said, the lesser, the greater went on. He said, who do you look up to as being the greatest? Whatever. He said, who do you vision? He said, that's me, but 10 years from now. And then 10 years later, he said, now who do you consider? Who do you look up to as being the greatest man? He said, that's me, 10 years from now. In other words, he wasn't looking at his present state of being. He was looking at the development that was yet to occur within his life. And he is saying, so when I arrive at what I thought to be that, I realize that there's still more development yet to occur within me. So he says, so in other words, he says, so the person that I desire to be, I'm not that yet. The person that I desire to be, I want to be the best me that I can be. That's what he really saying. He said, what I'm doing, I do not understand. He says, for what I will to do, I do not practice. But what I hate, the very thing I hate, I find myself doing it. You say, well, wait a minute. If you hate it, why are you doing it? He says, if then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now, it is no longer I who do, who, who do it, but sin that dwells in me. He says, but I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. Nothing good dwells. For to will is present within me. But how to perform what is good, I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not, but the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Now, if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it's sin that dwells in me. But then he says, but I find in another law that evil is present within me, 
the one who wills to do good. But he says, but I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind. I see another law. Now, now there you begin to look at this whole thing of where, where you get beyond antinomianism. He said, I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind. We mentioned the word antinomia, anti without nomianism law. It is without law. He said, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. He said, this other law that's, that's in my mind, bringing me into captivity to the law of sin. So now I realize, as a result of the law, that's bringing me to that place of understanding I deserve death. He says, who will deliver me from this body of death? And then he says, then he says, now that I'm in this place of saying, who will deliver me from, if you never reach that point, you'll never appreciate incarnation. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Who can get me out of this dilemma? Because understand, the prevent, hear me talk about prevenient prevenient grace of God, where the grace that goes before, how God graces us before we respond to his initiative. What God does, he graces us with the will to do good. God says, I'll give you, I'll place something in you where you become dissatisfied with yourself. You become dissatisfied with your sin. You begin to the place where you get sin sick. But understand, that's the grace of God already at work, where God did something to initiate the process to bring you to the place of even desiring to do, even though you don't have the will to do any better. So now he goes on, who would deliver me? He said, I thank God. I thank God, because now we get into Christ. For, for he says, I thank God now that, uh, that, that I see something. Uh, through the, through the Lord Jesus Christ, so then, with the mind, I serve the law of God. With the mind, I serve the law of God. In fact, now I mind the things of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Now, I, I, I took a lot of time with this, and I'm, I'm looking at my time because I got some points I wanted to make here uh, in line with what I started with because as we begin looking to the whole thing of the Spirit, the Spirit, the Spirit. We understand that the striving uh, against the Spirit. The Bible says, my, my Spirit shall not always strive in man, for he's indeed flesh. Wickedness was found everywhere. Wickedness was found on the face of the earth. Here in, and that's all found in Genesis chapter 3, 6 rather, verse 3, it talks about how wickedness was in the heart, how it grieved God's heart that he even made man. But then Jesus comes on the scene, and when Jesus came on the scene, uh, particularly when we look at not just the birth of Jesus, but the life of Jesus. Let's not, you see, he came to die. Let's not look at, don't look at one phase of his life. I want you to look at the totality of his life. Jesus was born to die. That, that was one man that came on the earth that knew his purpose. 
His purpose in life was to die because he was to die for the sins of the world. He recognized his mission. He was aware of his purpose. Now, we talk about the attraction, the attraction. What were the things that were attractive about Jesus? What were the things? That, the Bible says he came to his own, and his own rejected him. They said the majority of the people he came to rejected him. He was a man that was acquainted with grief. In fact, the Bible, let's read that part here. That's in, that's in Isaiah 53 and verse 2. He says, there is no beauty that we should desire him, that we should desire him. Now, look at this. Now, that's different from that tree in it because in the tree of the knowledge, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that fruit was desirable. When you saw it, you wanted to eat it. Eve wanted to eat it, and not only she wanted to eat it, she wanted to serve it to her husband. But now, when you begin to see the totality of the life of Jesus Christ, first of all, we have to understand, he manifests. What does he manifest? You see, he, he is, he's the son of God being manifest to destroy the works of the devil in you and in me and us. But now, when we see him, when we see him, let's say in his totality, not just on Christmas when we're passing our Christmas gifts. We're talking about the totality of his life. The totality of his life, when we begin to really see him based upon without being changed or being transformed by him, the Bible says there is nothing beautiful about him that we would desire him. Nothing beautiful about him that we would desire him. In other words, he get, he gets, he'll get on your nerves because he keeps getting into your, meddling into your business. You see that? He keeps, he won't stay in his place, but he keeps going into your closets. He keeps getting into those private rooms in your house. He will, he will follow you in places that you don't want him to know you go to. That's Jesus. He doesn't leave you or forsake you, but he is with you always. When you, when you invite him in, he feels that he can set up residence within your heart and life even in those times when you tell him to stay in his place. The Lord said, no, no, I told you, I, I go where you go. I'm with you in everything that you're involved in, everything that you're engaged in. So you begin to, when you begin to look at it then, you say, I want to do my thing. But Jesus says, but, but I'm pulling you in a different direction. The Holy Spirit grieving your heart when you want to move in the wrong direction. He said, there's no beauty that you should desire him. Then he is despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrow and acquainted with grief. That's the real Jesus. He says, and then it goes on to say that we hid our faces from him. Here it is here. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. We hid as our faces from him. So, so in other words, wait a minute, wait a minute. Remember Adam? And Eve in the garden that used to commune with the Lord in the day of their innocency, how they commune with God. But what happened once sin entered into their lives? 
They were running from him, hiding from him, covering themselves from him. And understand the same thing applies. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. So people don't want to face him. They want to run away from him. I like, I like Christmas, but I don't like Jesus. You see that? I, I like Santa Claus. I like the Rudolph, the red-nosed reindeer. All the other things that, that would remind me of this celebration or this holiday, but keep Jesus out of it. What does Jesus have to do with it? He has everything to do with it. So he hid his faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. You didn't give him credit. Now, what the Lord wants us to know and to do, he says, I'll tell you, the last Adam, the last Adam, he says, Isaiah 7, 14, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. He says, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. Listen to how the last Adam is. The law was a school teacher, the schoolmaster. We'll deal with that later on. Bringing you to the place of receiving him. But he says, curds and honey he shall eat. He shall know not, and I say he shall know. Now, if you look at what happened early on, they had to learn the difference between good and evil. That was part of what I wanted to share with you. They had learned. But Jesus already, he didn't have to learn it. He, he, he knew that he may know to refuse evil and to choose good. For before the child shall know to refuse evil and choose the good, the land you dread will be forsaken by both her kings. The Lord will bring the king of Assyria. He goes on, the different things will take place at that particular time. But the point I'm making is that he shall know to refuse evil. It was in him, in his nature, to refuse evil and to accept the good. In other words, here's a man that didn't do anything wrong. Everything he did was in it was always on the side of the good. It was always on the side of the good. You see, no mixture in his life. We understand the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It wasn't a hybrid, what he did. He actually brings us to the place where we can eat of the fruit of the tree of life, of life. You see that? Because he said, choose good and live. Choose that which was good that you may live. So what the Lord comes on, he says, he says, I will show you, I will give you an example of one that was born without sin, born without mixture. So he becomes the model of a man, the last Adam now, who did that which was good. But his good was what? Because of his goodness, because of his goodness, his goodness was to destroy 
all the evil that resides as a result of the first Adam. That which we inherited, the sins we inherited from our fathers, Jesus Christ, the last Adam, came so that not only to destroy the works around us, but to destroy the works within us, to give us a heart that will be towards the Lord. We would never be at a place of longing after God unless Jesus Christ had come and given us what we need to press beyond that longing for what we see to realize that there's something more to life than this. So, in this, he is our high priest. He is our high priest. And he's here interceding for us that we might be reconciled to the Father. So, Father, thank you so much helping us to understand this. Thank you, Lord, that you are the example. But not only the example, the power. You possess the power that we need in order for good to be done in us. There's no good in us, but Christ in us, the good can manifest. So we give you praise as we thank you for all that you have provided for us. May we be at a place, Lord, where we trust you with our whole lives, our whole hearts, with our all. And during this time, may we understand your purpose for coming and the reason for this season, not only for the day that we celebrate Christmas, but the season, the reason for the season, so that the world can be seasoned with the salt of believers because we are the salt of the earth. And Lord, we are the light of the world. So during this season, may the seasoning occur within this season. We thank you for it now. In Jesus' name, amen.